Thank you, Janine and team, for leading us this morning in worship and song. It's fantastic. It's good to be together. I'm Reg Taves, the transitional lead pastor here at Forest Grove Attridge, and it's good to welcome you to our service as well. It's just my privilege to be here with you this morning and to bring God's Word and to just allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us this morning. Friday was the second annual Day for Truth and Reconciliation in our country. And uh, we can't, we just can't ignore that. It's an important something for us to consider and think of. And Brenda and I were, were wondering, like, what do we do on that particular day? And I don't know if you were like us, but last minute, we're last minute people. So we were looking for orange shirts, couldn't find any. Uh, I did go to a store on Broadway and found a triple XL, which I bought, and I thought we could wear it together. She, she didn't think that was a good idea. Uh, and then we were out on Thursday night, and we happened to be somewhere and saw somebody with an orange shirt in their hand, and we said, where'd you get that? And in Nutana, at the high school, they had a pop-up where they were selling shirts. So we were able to go out and get a couple of shirts, and then we, we joined in the walk that took place at 10 o'clock here in Saskatoon. And it was just a, a for us, it was an experience of learning and growing and understanding and just listening and participating and developing a sense of empathy, which I think is really important for us to have in our world and in our life. So we don't want to just, we don't want to ignore this, but we want to invite God into this process as well. So this morning, as we, um, as we remember, I want, to, I want to pray for us. that God would speak to our hearts this morning and would just lead us into a place that He wants to bring us, not where we want to be necessarily, but where He wants us to be. So I invite you to stand with me as we address our Father, our God, this morning as I pray for us and for our country. Father God, creator of heaven and earth, we come to you today to ask for your healing of the people of Canada. We ask that you would help us to walk together in a spirit of truth and reconciliation. Your word tells us to accept the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We know that we find life in you and in you alone. God of mercy and grace, you have provided reconciliation between yourself and us through your son, Jesus. Help us to accept and walk in the reconciliation you have given us and to work toward reconciliation with all peoples, especially our indigenous neighbors. We empathize with the grief and pain that they have experienced and walk with them in a spirit of truth and love. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves as you have commanded us, knowing that we are unable to love them without your love being in us. Your word tells us that we love because we have first experienced your love. Grant us opportunities to love in practical ways throughout this year. For we pray this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're continuing with our series on the book of Acts. And I'm talking today about living out uh, the mystery of what it means to have the Holy Spirit living in us. Acts, this Acts series is about this mystery 
of the Holy Spirit. We don't, can't figure it all out. We can figure out some of it because Scripture teaches us. And I, I love this idea of mystery, of not knowing. Uh, some of you are probably those who are like, I need to know absolutely every detail before I will commit to anything. Bless you. We pray for you. Those of you like myself who go like, I can understand 80%, 90%, but boy, there's that 10% I just don't get. And we just have to hold it. We just have to hold it and say, I don't know, Lord, what? Mysteries have a couple of things going for them. They have a great opening. And if you read the Bible, what would happen if you read the Bible as a mystery? Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's the opening gambit of a mystery where we hear what God does in creation and how he creates the world and he creates man and woman and he creates all of these things and all of a sudden then we have another important part of a mystery and that is conflict or danger, right? And Satan comes on the scene and there's this conflict that takes place and then throughout all of the text of scripture, it begins to pull it all together. The book of Acts is sort of this culmination. It's drawing this to a close. It doesn't close it because we see it in Revelation. But as we begin to read the book of Acts, it begins to pull some of the themes all throughout Scripture and begins to pull them together for us so that we begin to see the mystery unpacked for us. So as we, as we begin today, just think about this mystery, the mystery of God's presence Here he was in the book of Acts in this early time, just after Jesus had left. In verses 17, it talks about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all people. And and they're speaking in languages, and they're sharing the good news, the, the amazing work that God has done. They're sharing it in languages they didn't speak. And people were hearing it, and they were saying, what is this? And so they asked these two questions, and we're going to look at these, just look at the one question is, what does this mean is the first question that they asked. And we're going to finish unpacking that. Kevin, uh, last week, read this long passage for us. We're picking up a section of it, and I just want to go deeper into this passage for us today to say, what is this mystery? And, And answering that question, what does this mean? Verse 12. And then the second question we're going to get to right at the end is, what shall we do? And I just love those two questions. What does this mean? Do you ever ask God, what does this mean? What does this really mean for me? And then out of that, you have to go to that second question. What do I need to do? And so this morning as we get into this, I want to let you know that I'm going to ask you at the end of the message, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because I really believe that, that listening to me for 30 minutes is not going to take you any closer to heaven. Listening to the Holy Spirit for 30 minutes and responding to him is definitely going to take you one step closer in your transformation walk with Jesus. So I want to encourage you to think about how am I going to respond to the things that the Spirit of God may be nudging me toward this morning. Let's read this text together. It's Acts chapter 2, and if you have it in your app or on your Bible, I'm not, I don't put it up on the screen for a good reason. Uh, you may say, well, why don't you? You should. It's, it's really important. It's like, no, actually, I want you to have it in your hand. So whether it's on your app, on your phone, or it's actually not a phone. It's a computer in your hand that makes phone calls. That's just me. Uh, or if you have like a, a paper copy, I just like you to look at it and see it for yourself. 
because I know it'll, it'll penetrate your heart more deeply as we read it together. So let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 22. I'm reading the New International Version. And in the, we're jumping in, just to, before I read, we're jumping into the middle of the sermon. So that's probably not a good thing to do, but it's what I'm going to do today because I want to really settle in on this section of the text. Verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I, am, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you have, will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted at the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord has for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. Father, we just invite your spirit to speak to us this morning. Make these words come alive for us. May they actually be that sword of the Spirit that penetrates our heart and our soul and our mind. And Lord, help us to be like those who listened to the message and said, what do we need to do? For we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, in verse 22, what we see here at the very beginning is Peter unpacking the work that Jesus did here on earth. He just does it very quickly in literally one sentence. Luke records it in one sentence. This is what Jesus did. There were healings and miracles and signs and wonders. And you all who are watching actually saw them. He's speaking to the witnesses who actually saw and experienced. Maybe they ate the bread 
of the 5,000 that Jesus kept breaking and breaking and breaking, and they were able to experience that food. Maybe they had a relative who had been healed, had been touched by Jesus, and they were like, yes, I remember this. They all had witnessed something about Jesus, and he was known by his actions, by what he did. Certainly, we have the teachings of Jesus, and they are vitally important to us. But his teachings were actually built off of his actions of healing and releasing people from addictions and demons. They had been there, they had seen it, and his teachings were empowered by those actions. In verse 23, we see that that Jesus was not a victim, but he lived out God's plan. So often we look at it and go like, oh, it's so sad that Jesus died. And it is sad, but it wasn't for no purpose. It was purposeful. It was planned. It was directed by God. Jesus knew this when he came to this earth. This was the plan right from the beginning. It wasn't a surprise to him. He was expecting it. In a way, he was welcoming it, and yet because he was fully human, he experienced all the feelings that we have, and yet he kept coming back to the Father for assurance. It's amazing to me how as human beings, we have this incredible desire to live. Have you ever, you know, dove into the water and tried to go as deep as you could? And what happens is you, you're swimming down and all of a sudden, what, your brain starts to say, hello, I need some oxygen, would you please do something different? And then you, you start rising to the surface. And I don't know about you, but I get this, I, if I really push it, I start to get this, I have to start managing my panic. And Jesus lived like us, so he's knowing what's coming He knows the physical pain he's going to go through. He knows the emotional pain he's going to go through. So when we read in the text that he's suffering and it's hard, it's because he's saying, I understand you. I understand me. Because I am fully human. And yet in the midst of that, he manages his anxiety, he manages his panic by turning to his father and saying, give me assurance. Lord, if this is the right way, then help me walk in it. If it's not the right way, give me a different path. Give me a different path. So he's not a victim. We have, he was, came to this earth with his father's assurance and, and faith in his father to press into what was to come for our salvation. Howard Marshall writes in his commentary, he says, here we have the paradox of divine predestination and human free will in its strongest form. So God is saying, this is my purpose, and yet God uses people to perform his purpose. He goes on and says, even in putting Jesus to death, the Jews were simply fulfilling what God had already determined must take place and indeed had foretold in the prophetic writings. See, God knew this was coming, and yet he used human beings So there's this predestination of the divine and then the human free will walking together, walking together. One of the biggest pieces that Peter gets into in this message is the the idea of Jesus' resurrection. So from verse 24 to verse 32, he's unpacking Jesus' resurrection because Jesus' resurrection is critical 
to God's design. It's critical. You can't, you can't just say Jesus came, he died. Ah, the resurrection. I don't really believe that. I'm not sure it really happened. The resurrection is something that would, had been experienced by this crowd he was speaking with. They had been present when Jesus died. They may have seen him following the resurrection. If we, if we read through Luke, it talks about him being with people, eating with them, spending time with them after the resurrection. So the power of the resurrection is found, resurrection is found right here where it says it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Let me read you just a section. Lee Strobel has done some amazing work on this in The Case for Christ. And I, I found just sort of an overview. And if, you're, if, you're just, if you're grappling with this or if you're saying, I need some more information or I need to know, really under, understand what the resurrection was about. Is it real? Did it actually happen? I encourage you to go to Lee Strobel and look for the book, Case for Christ. It's a small book. It's an easy read. Uh, and if you're a skeptic here this morning or you're watching online and you're skeptical about this, Go and, and listen to what he writes and how he unpacks this and goes to experts. So let me just give you an idea of that. I'm just, this is going to just take a couple of minutes. The third and final section of Strobel's investigation switches from the life of Jesus to his death. It's entitled Researching the Resurrection and tackles the fundamental Christian idea that Jesus was killed, resurrected, and then eventually raised back up to heaven. Strobel starts by speaking with Dr. Alexander Methril, a medical doctor who has researched the crucifixion. Methril explains that there is no conceivable way that Jesus survived the crucifixion, and he walks Strobel through the medical realities of suffering such a brutal death. Strobel then turns to Dr. William Craig, who provides a mixture of historical and textual evidence to prove that Jesus' body disappeared from the tomb. Craig also tackles the contradictions in the Gospels that muddy the waters, concluding that there is a historical core to this story that is reliable and can be depended upon, however conflicting the secondary details might be. Next, Strobel wants to understand whether Jesus was truly seen alive after the cross or if his body was just missing. Dr. Gary Habermas uses the creed and formal statement of Christian beliefs found in 1 Corinthians as the backbone of his argument and explains that Jesus was not only seen by hundreds of people, he ate with them, spoke to them, and touched them as well. In his last chapter, Strobel once again returns to the idea of corroborating evidence that he introduced in chapter 2. He wants to determine whether the resurrection is substantiated outside of the Bible, and so he speaks with Dr. J.P. Moreland. Moreland provides five examples that support the idea of a real resurrection, including a mass conversion of Jewish skeptics shortly after Jesus' death and the rapid emergence of the early Christian church. That's what we're studying right now, where he ends is like, wow, there is this explosion of response to Jesus and the resurrection, which is why it is so vital that Peter spends this much time talking about the resurrection to the Jewish skeptics. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, which was referred to in this article about Strobel, of the necessity of the resurrection. Let me read you just a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ, Paul's writing, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still lost in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, fallen asleep would be like have died, they are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. So he's saying, look further. It's not just about what Jesus did on earth. 
It's what he's now doing in the resurrection and beyond. So then he goes on and says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, and resurrection from the dead also comes through a man, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. See, Christ was the, when it says first fruits, it's like he's the first one. It's the first one, and there's many, many more coming. And those of us and those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, you know that that's the future, that there is this day where we're going to be resurrected. And so the resurrection of Jesus is a key aspect of the Christian faith. In verses 33 to 35, Jesus is present with God right now. Uh, Peter just begins and continues to say, listen, look at what's going on, Uh, that Jesus is with God at the right hand. Peter continues with this Davidic kingly picture as he informs us of where Jesus is. He's in that place beside the Father at the right hand, and he's been given the Holy Spirit, and he says, and is now poured out with abundance. And so they're like, you're experiencing this. The Holy Spirit is poured out right now, right here with you. The writer of Hebrews actually helps us understand this even more deeply. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. Now let me just pause for a minute there. A high priest or a priest is one who acts as an intermediary to come between two parties. Jesus is speaking to God for those who believe and for those who will believe. He's also brought God near to us through his death and resurrection. So he acts as that high priest. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16 goes on and says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What a great encouragement to us. There's so much in these verses that I just read in Hebrews that it's about our faith in Jesus. Do we place, do we rest in him? Do we sit with him? Do we say when we're in doubt, do we turn to him? And say, Jesus, I need you. I need you in this moment. There's this knowledge of our struggles. I don't know about you, but that really resonates with me. It's like Jesus understands my temptations. He understands our temptations. Do you believe that this morning? Yeah, somebody does. The rest of you, do you believe that this morning? Yes, he understands our temptations. He's, He's walked the road with us. And yet he was without sin. And so we can turn to him and say, Jesus, help me. Because I know, I know I've experienced the same thing that you have. There's this, then there's in this text, there's this call to confident contact with God. Like we don't need to be afraid. We don't go before God in trembling and fear because God comes to us in love and in truth and just says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We have our freedom that is found in God alone. Grace and mercy is found at his throne. And so we confidently, not 
arrogantly, but confidently. Because of what Jesus has done, we come before his throne. Where we know, we don't doubt, we know we will find help. Yeah, we'll find help. Now, Peter reaches, that wasn't the climax of the message. I would have said, yes, let's end it right there. Woo! This is awesome. No, no, he's not done yet. Look at what he says in verse 36. Jesus is the chosen one, the Messiah and Lord, the ruler. The one you killed is the Lord or ruler and also the Messiah. The one all of Israel was waiting for, the chosen one. You murdered him. You put him to death. Wow, and it says they were cut to the heart. William Baker, in his commentary, says the resurrection is more than a victory over death in Peter's preaching. It means that Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God and thus must be confessed as both Lord and Christ. The term Lord means that Jesus has absolute authority, deity, and sovereignty. Thus, this confession would lay the groundwork for the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification by making the confessor humbly subject to the work of God that would follow. That's that's an interesting point, isn't it? If Jesus is our Savior and then we say He is our Lord. I've used words like boss. Yeah, To say this is God's calling. So that when we come to him, yes, we come to him in salvation, and then we say he's the transformation that happens in Jesus Christ continues on and on and on through our lives when we do what? When we understand he's our Savior, but when we live out that he's our Lord. And so we say, God, whatever you say, I'm going to do. Whatever your word teaches, I'm going to follow. Even when it's hard. Even when it's difficult, I'm going to do it. Jesus is the chosen one, the Messiah, the Lord, the ruler. Well, now we get the response. So he's finishing the sermon. It's done. You have killed the one that you were looking for. And their response is, what shall we do? Cut to the heart. What shall we do? Howard Marshall puts it this way. The thought is of being brokenhearted. And standing under the conviction of sin. It is natural to ask what response should be made by those thus convicted. They knew, they knew that a response was required. They knew it. Couldn't just say, okay, that was great, that was fine. Good word, good sermon, Peter. But no, there needs to be a response. The response was given by Peter. He said, this is what you need to do. Here's your response. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, often in the Christian church, we think about that as sort of a one time, and it is. It is a coming to God. It is recognizing our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, Uh, our own rebellion against God, where I'm just like, I'm going to do my thing. I want to do it my way. Uh, It's all about me. And then God comes and says, repent. Repent. 
Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul puts it so clearly for us. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Marshall goes on and says, Christian baptism conveyed an additional blessing. John had said that he baptized only with water, but the Messiah would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And this gift accompanied water baptism performed by the church in the name of Jesus in this particular instance. You and I, as we've walked with Jesus, if we know him, we have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so the result that comes to us is that Jesus is at the throne of God pouring out the Holy Spirit. Pouring out the Holy Spirit. Peter says, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Kenneth Gengel says, Peter wanted to proclaim the whole gospel. So he could not stop at the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's not the whole gospel. In these verses, he moves on to the exaltation and the coming of the Holy Spirit, bringing his listeners right up to this moment. They're seeing the Holy Spirit being poured out. They're experiencing, and he says, this is for you. This isn't just for these people. It's for everyone who turns to Jesus. And then we have the mystery to be revealed. Who is called, verse 39, where it says these, these amazing words, this is for you and your children, and for all who are afar off. When this was written, how close were you to this? I was afar off. I'm one of these. He's writing to us today. You were far off. So as he's writing this, as he's saying these words, he's saying, this is for you. It was thinking in that day, it was thinking about even the Gentiles. Not just the Jews were coming to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, but the Gentiles were coming as well. And that was a future thing that was coming. And it was for all who would call. Oh, sorry, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Isn't that the mystery? Who has God called? Ever ask yourself that? Who has God called? Now some people turn that on its head and go, well, there's some people that just aren't. But I look at Peter and he says, God isn't willing that any should perish. God calls everyone, it's do we respond. You see, exactly what's taking place in this text, it's about response. We, we hear the message, what do we do with this word? We have to do something with it. We can't just say, okay. It's like, who's called? And so the mystery for me, as I live in my world and as I share the gospel with people, it's like, who has God called? I don't know, but I'm going to share the gospel with everybody. Amen. Just with everybody. Just share the good news. God is the one who figures out who's been called. I don't. And that's, isn't that a wonderful mystery? Could be your neighbor that you just don't get along with. God might be calling them. And God might be saying, what about using you? Yeah, but they're miserable. They throw their junk on the yard. It looks awful. God is calling. We don't know. So as we finish this morning. I'm going to call the band up if they would come. And I just want to, I actually, I'm going to ask you to respond this morning.
to say, what, what is this word for us? In the first place, I want us to respond, and, and I, this is for me, it's for you. Uh, I mean, as I prepare this, my heart has been moved, but the first place that Peter encouraged us to respond is when we come before God and we lis- we're listening to the Holy Spirit, there's this moment of repentance. And you know, this isn't just for people who, you know, oh, I prayed a prayer, I came to Jesus, I repented once. I believe God calls us to be people of repentance, to repent again when there's things. And often I find in my life it's pride. It's pride. It's like I can do this by myself. I don't need God. I think our world, particularly this world in which we live, I mean, he talks about a perverse generation. It's like that was his generation was bad. Ours isn't any different. It's not any different. But we need, I'm just going to say to us this morning, I think some of us here need to repent. We need to repent this morning. Not that, not that it's a heavy downer on you. It's actually, it's a freedom. When we repent, God frees us. So we think repentance is a bad thing. I'm going to say repentance is wonderful. When our heart's broken, what do we do with it? We repent. God, heal me. So I want you to think this morning, what is it that God, the Holy Spirit, might be speaking to you this morning? What do you need to leave behind that is not honoring God? What do you need to leave? What is it in your life? Think about that for a moment. And then as I think about repentance, there's this, there's this demonstration now, in this text, it was, it was baptism, and many of you have probably been baptized, and that's great. And if you haven't, I would encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to make sure that you're saying, I want to take every single step of obedience to call Jesus Lord in my life. Every single step I could possibly take. And one of those is baptism. And we would love to talk to you about that. But there's these actions that follow faith decisions. And this morning, I'm going to actually ask you to respond. As we close the service, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat. If God is speaking to you this morning, whether it's repentance, whether it's a demonstration of a decision that you've made, a faith decision, I'm just going to ask you get up out of your seat, and I'm going to ask you to come forward and just kneel here as your way of not surrendering to anybody but Jesus. Just saying, Lord, I'm here. I repent of whatever it is God's bringing, and I demonstrate my, my initiative, my action, by this kneeling here in front of you. I want to also encourage us as we walk into this week to continue to build and live out of our relationship with God. These people received the Holy Spirit, and you know what? They went on with their life, and their life just continued to be moving. And Scripture teaches us to walk with the Holy Spirit. So maybe even your commitment this morning would be to say, I commit to walk with the Holy Spirit, and I haven't been. I've been, I have moments where we're together, and I have a lot of moments where we're not. So maybe your commitment this morning is, I choose, I'm going to say, I'm going to walk with the Holy Spirit and just be in step and listening. And finally, I want to encourage us to just ask this, and maybe this is something we need to repent of where we've just said, I haven't been willing to share my faith. We don't know who God is calling. We don't know. 
But what we do know is he calls us to live out our faith, to speak out our faith. And maybe this morning you've just been like, Reg, I haven't done it. I've had opportunities. I haven't gone there. And so maybe this morning that's your area of repentance. And God wants to fill you with himself so that you can live it out. Who is God calling? Who's near you?